you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Here at Grace Fellowship, what we do is we go through a book of the Bible at a time, uh, breaking down passages as we go. And so uh, we're studying the Gospel of Matthew right now under that title, Behold Your King. And that's a theme of Matthew's Gospel, that Jesus is the King, not just of his people, uh, but of all the universe. And we just sang that. Uh, And Jesus came to fulfill everything that the Old Testament had said. And we're going to look at that today. Uh, Let me first begin just by uh, kind of connecting the dots so far. The section of Matthew's Gospel that we're in is called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And if you haven't been with us, let me just try to give you a a summary so far of of what we've seen. In the opening part of the sermon... Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, Jesus talks about the identity of kingdom people, their character. Who, who are the kind of people that belong to and follow Jesus? So he begins with our character, who we are, our being. And then he shows us in verses 13 through 16 what kind of influence those people have on the world. And he uses the phrase salt and light. And so a world that is dying and decaying to a world that is dying and decaying, Jesus's people are meant to be salt. They are meant to restrain that moral decay. Not only that, but to a world that is dark, Jesus's people are meant to be light. And so if you want to put those two together, right, on the one hand, it's a stopping and saying, no more of this. This is, this, is, this is a way to death. Do not do this. That's salt. And then light says, go this way instead. This is the good path. This is the good way. Walk in it. So that's, what, that's the influence that Jesus' people should have on the world, to be salt and light. And what he does next is he begins to show us what it looks like uh, to work that out in practice. In fact, really, that's what the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is about. How do we work this thing called the Christian life out in practice? And he begins by dealing particularly with God's law. And so if you would uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 17 through 20 are the verses that we're going to look at today. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to grab that black Bible that should be in in the chair in front of you and follow along. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never Enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. And like him, it's good and true and holy. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. 
Amen. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding it. Lord Jesus, you are not afraid of difficult words. You are not afraid of putting us off balance so that we will seek deeper understanding and seek you. And words like this do that to us. And so, Lord, we ask for your help. We pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Help us to understand what these verses mean. And then would you change us, would you transform us, that we would pursue the righteousness uh, that you call for. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're not familiar with the life of Jesus, one of the main problems he faced over and over and over again, in fact, probably the main problem that he faced, was his conflict with the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees were experts in the law. Uh, they, were the, they were the teachers and the experts. They brought God's law. They saw themselves as bringing God's law to bear on his people. And Jesus is in regular conflict with these religious leaders. Uh, he regularly breaks all of their rules. Uh, he eats with sinners, which is a no-no. He heals on the Sabbath day, which is a no-no. He criticizes them in public. And we're going to even see that he does that in the sermon in a few verses. He keeps butting heads with the Pharisees and the scribes. And so it makes sense that people would be asking the question, is Jesus against the law? What does Jesus think about God's law since he keeps butting heads with the people who are the experts in it. And that question is still relevant today. Uh, for those of us who are not Jewish, which I think, I don't know everybody in the room, but that's probably most of us, we would ask, what relevance does the, do the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, what relevance does that have for us? Right? If we have Jesus, do we still need God's law? Was that for a bygone era? Does it still serve a purpose? Those kind of questions are, are relevant to us since they make up over half of our Bibles. Uh, and so, fortunately for us, Jesus answers those questions. And so, uh, we're going to look at, look at this answer under two headings today. First, we're going to see that Jesus uh, fulfills the law and that Jesus shows us what true righteousness is. Jesus fulfills the law, and Jesus shows us true righteousness. So uh, Jesus opens by saying, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. There's a couple of things we need to understand before we can understand what Jesus is saying. First, we need to understand who are the law and the, what, what is the law and the prophets? What are the law and the prophets? Subject verb agreement, you know, take it and leave it. Um, what's Jesus talking about? Well, whenever a first century Jew would talk about the law and the prophets, he was talking about the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. So all of the books uh, in our Bible from Genesis to Malachi would be summarized under this heading, the law and the prophets. 
He's not just referring to certain parts of the Old Testament. He's referring to the whole thing. And so he says, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets. When he says that, he's saying, I haven't come to destroy or do away with the Bible, with the Old Testament. Um, He hasn't come to set it aside. He hasn't come to replace it. Jesus is not anti-Moses. Jesus is not anti-Old Testament. In fact, the only Bible that Jesus had was our Old Testament. The only Bible that the early church had while they were writing what we call the New Testament was the Old Testament, what's called the Hebrew Bible. Uh, When Paul says to Timothy uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus, the Scriptures he was talking about are the Old Testament. And so... Why this is relevant for us today is because we can tend to think, well, really the New Testament is what you need. The parts that talk, you know, that deal precisely with Jesus, that's all that we really need. All the rest of that stuff, you know, it's hard to understand. It's kind of archaic. We can kind of set that aside. And Jesus' position right here would say, no, we can't. We cannot unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. In fact... The ministry of Jesus doesn't even make any sense without the Old Testament. I had a a Hebrew professor. Of course, he was a Hebrew professor, so he probably, he's kind of had a dog in the fight. But he he would say that to give somebody the New Testament without, without the Old Testament is to give them the answer key without giving them the test. You don't even know what questions Jesus is answering if you don't have the Old Testament. We cannot understand the person and work of Jesus if we don't understand the law and the prophets. So we can't do away with them. In fact, Jesus even says in verse 18, he says, uh, not an iota, you may say that iota, um, or a dot is going to pass away from the law until all is accomplished. What he's saying is, right, the, the, the iota would have referred to the smallest letter The dot would have referred to the smallest punctuation mark. He's saying that all of it matters. We would say, right, the cross of every T and the dot of every I. All of them come from the Lord, and none of them will pass away until Jesus' mission is fully accomplished. Right? Until heaven and earth pass away, until this age comes to an end, God's law will endure the whole way through. Until we see him face to face and we no longer need it, God's law will endure. So Jesus is telling his critics and he's telling us, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to replace them. I haven't come to set them aside. Rather, he says, I've come to fulfill them. So the accent's not on the negative, but on the positive. Jesus isn't replacing or destroying the law. He's coming to fulfill it. Now, what in the world does that mean? How does Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? So bear with me for a little bit. I want to give you the big picture first. Stated simply in one sentence, Jesus is the completion of everything in the Old Testament. Every book of the Old Testament is a sign pointing forward to Jesus. That's the the biggest high-level picture view I can give you. Jesus is 
fulfills every word of the Old Testament. How does he do that? Uh, well, let's break it down a little bit more. Let's get underneath that big picture. First, Jesus fulfills everything that the Old Testament teaches about God. All the truth that the Old Testament reveals about who God is and what he's like is made flesh and revealed in Jesus. Jesus fulfills all the prophecies in the Old Testament. And not just the ones that come from the prophets, but even those that come in the Psalms. There's prophecy in the Psalms, in the songbook of the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills all of those, right? When the Old Testament speaks about the Messiah and about the future and about his kingdom and how God would save his people, it's talking about Jesus. It's pointing to him. Jesus fulfills all the ceremonies and sacrifices in the Old Testament. And so when you read books like Leviticus and Numbers, which are the hard books to read, when you read about sacrifices and tabernacles and temples and priests, those are all shadows and signs that point to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those. And then finally, Jesus fulfills what we call the moral law. The moral law would be the Ten Commandments and then all of the other commandments that flow out of those ten. All of the laws that you read again in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Jesus fulfills those, and he fulfills, the, he fulfills those by keeping them, by obeying them, by obeying every command that God gives down to the smallest letter. And so what I'm saying is that without the law, you can't actually understand Jesus. Without the law, we have no grasp of what Jesus came to do. Let me ask you, let me ask, let me ask the kids in the room. What did Jesus come to do? Die on the cross. Why did he die on the cross? To save us from our sin, all right? So, what is sin? You can't answer that question without the Old Testament. There's no way to know what sin is or what I need to be forgiven of if I don't have the law. Without the law, forgiveness of sins makes no sense because sin makes no sense. The Old Testament reveals what sin is. Why a cross? Why would dying on a Roman, uh, through a Roman method of execution, why would that have been Jesus' method? Why did he choose that road? Again, it's only in the Old Testament that we learn that everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed under the law. Jesus becomes a curse for us. But that doesn't make sense unless you have the Old Testament. Why does Jesus need to forgive my son? Again, you can't answer that without the Old Testament. Because it's the Old Testament that teaches us that we were created to be holy and righteous and good. It's the Old Testament that teaches us that we fell from that position by rebelling against God's holiness and rebelling against God's law. You see, without the Old Testament, I don't really know what my need is. And I don't know how Jesus comes to satisfy it. And so, Christian, do not, 
disconnect yourself from the Old Testament. Do not look at the Old Testament, at that part of your Bible, as a lesser book that doesn't have truth for you. Without the truth in the Old Testament, you cannot fully grasp what it is that Jesus came to do. It's only in the law that I see my need of Jesus. It's only because of the law that Jesus can make sense. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Now, so then does that mean I don't need to do anything with the law, that I don't have to obey the law or follow its commands? Jesus, again, is very clear. In fact, he's so clear that it makes me uncomfortable. Verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes... Let me pause for just a second. There's one thing I forgot to point out. Go back up to verse 18. You see where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, what's Jesus doing? Well, in the Old Testament, if you were to read through the prophets, you'll see the same formula over and over and over again. The prophets will say, Thus says the Lord, or this is what the Lord says. So that's how the prophets spoke. They never spoke on their own authority. They never said, this is what Isaiah says. This is what Jeremiah says. They always said, this is what the Lord says. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, truly, I say. Who is Jesus? He's the Lord. When it comes to the law, he knows it because he gave it. He is the one who speaks authoritatively. It's from him that we can truly learn the meaning of the law. Now, with that said, look at verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus not only fulfills the law, but he also shows us what true righteousness looks like. He begins by reminding us in verse 19 that righteousness matters. Uh, What is righteousness? It's obeying the law. Right? So, sometimes in Christian circles, we can get mighty afraid of the word obedience. Uh, Because we think, well, if I'm saved by grace not by works, then my obedience no longer matters because that's not what saves me. And Jesus says, well, you're right. Your obedience is not what saves you. And we just, as a church, spent time going through the book of Galatians. Paul lays all that out for us. If you're using the law like the Pharisees were, if you're using the law to appear before God and say, hey, look at what I've done. Accept me because of my righteousness in the law. Then you're using the the law for the wrong thing. Uh, Jesus says you're not going to be righteous that way. And so, yes, we are saved by grace, not by our obedience to the law. But that doesn't mean our obedience doesn't matter. The law is not what saves us, but after we come to faith, it is what guides us. It's what shows us what is pleasing to the Lord. It shows us what holiness looks like. And so in that regard, that, in that regard we pursue the law. In that regard we pursue righteousness. We don't use the law to try to get accepted before God, 
but we do use the law to follow God. And that's why we have a call to repentance every Sunday. Because I've transgressed the law probably ten times just since we started worship. Right? Uh, like, there's no, I'm, I'm never going to be pure enough or moral enough to be acceptable to God. I need Jesus for that. But I also need him to show me what's good. And that's what purpose the law serves. And Jesus says, not only is it important that we do it, but that we teach others to do the same. So it's not just me and my personal uh, walk with God, but I need to encourage others in that same. And to the extent that I don't do that, he says, you'll be least in the kingdom. That doesn't mean you're out of the kingdom, um, but least. And we don't have time to go into all of that, but we can talk more about it later if you'd like. I'm always good for a cup of coffee or a free lunch. I'll pay. You don't have to pay. I'll pay. Um, so then what does Jesus mean, right? Uh, if Jesus is not against the law, why does he keep running afoul of the experts in the law? What's, what's the problem? Why can't they seem to get along? And he tells you right there in verse 20. He says, I tell you, again, Jesus' authority here, he's the Lord. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds he actually uses two words here we might say goes above and beyond unless your righteousness goes above and beyond that of the scribes and pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven apparently there was a saying circulating in jesus's day that said uh, if only two people are going to be saved surely it would be a scribe and a pharisee that was, that was how highly regarded these men were and their interpretation of the law and their righteousness was. And so it's to people who knew that saying that Jesus says, nope, you've got to go above and beyond. What does he mean by that? You see, the problem was not the law. The problem was that the law experts missed the point of the law. What scribes would do, or what scribes and Pharisees would do uh, in order to help people keep the law, right? So they saw these commands in the Old Testament. They said, man, that's a lot of law. We need to break these down into some uh, principles and rules and traditions that we can use to help people keep the law. So, uh, all right, you need help keeping the Sabbath, right? Not uh, not working on the Sabbath. And you, can, and you can still find this even today in Orthodox Jewish communities. Uh, you are not allowed to turn your oven on on the Sabbath. Because that would be equivalent to kindling a fire in your home, which would be labor, and therefore is a breaking of the law. Uh, I meant to look this up beforehand. I've looked it up before. It's pretty fascinating. Did you know there's such a thing as Sabbath elevators? Mm -hmm. In in Orthodox communities, particularly in in big cities, they have Sabbath elevators so that you don't have to operate the machinery by pushing a button. Again, I meant to look that up and see how they work, but I forgot. Um, But again, that's that's what happens, right? We take a law, and then we start trying to put it into multiple little traditions and principles and rules, and we say, here is righteousness. If you can follow A through Z, you will be righteous. 
And Jesus says, no. That kind of righteousness is only skin deep. That's what, that's what happens, right, when we begin following the, the traditions and commandments of men. Uh, we might feel pretty good about ourselves. We call that self-righteous. But our righteousness doesn't go deep enough. It only, we only leave it at the surface level. And this is what Jesus will begin to unpack for the rest of this chapter. He's going to mention a law or a tradition of the Pharisees, and then he's going to show how, he's going to reinterpret it and show how it goes deeper. And so the, the problem, uh, right, what Jesus, Jesus doesn't say you need more righteousness. He says you need deeper righteousness. The law doesn't just stay at the external. The law has to go down to your heart. That's what Jesus is after. And that's what he will unpack in the verses to follow. Now, you can begin to see maybe why this verse makes me uncomfortable. How do we get such righteousness? How in the world could we even begin? I mean, right, if the Pharisees would would get like a, you know, a 98 on the law test, I'm only going to get a 95 maybe. I don't know. Right. So how do we get this deeper righteousness that Jesus is talking about? Well, one of those Pharisees was a man named Nicodemus. Uh, We learn about Jesus's meeting with Nicodemus in John chapter three. And it's in John chapter three, when Nicodemus comes to talk to Jesus by night, that Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you again, there's Jesus's authority as Lord. I say to you. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus tells a Pharisee, an expert in the law, that he will not see God unless something changes on the inside. Unless he is born again, born of the Spirit. Something has to change in him before he can enter the kingdom. Now that would have been very offensive. Because like, like many Pharisees, Nicodemus was probably a pretty good guy. Right? He probably kept all the laws, he, you know, did what he was supposed to do, but it wasn't enough. Jesus said, no, you need something more. You need a deeper righteousness. You need to be born again. Where does that idea come from? Remember, the Old Testament is what Jesus taught out of. It's what Jesus, Jesus fulfilled. So let's go to the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 Ezekiel's talking about a new day that's going to come because Israel has repeatedly broken the law of God. They've repeatedly disobeyed and rebelled. And so Jesus, so the Lord says through Ezekiel that something new is going to happen. He says in Ezekiel 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In other words, in order to have true righteousness from the heart, we have to have the spirit. We have to have a new heart. We have to have God do this work in us. Now listen to what Paul says from Titus 2. This is in the New Testament. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. If we would have the deeper righteousness that Jesus is talking about, we first have to be transformed at the heart level. We have to have the Spirit at work in us. That comes when we place our faith in Jesus. actually comes before that. But uh, when the Spirit is at work in you, you will begin to desire the righteousness that Jesus is talking about. And so maybe even the question before that is, how do you feel about righteousness? Is holiness something that you want? Do you want what Jesus is referring to? Do you want that righteousness that exceeds, that goes above and beyond the scribes and the Pharisees? If the answer is yes, then the only place you're going to find that is in Jesus. You will not find it in yourself. Right? Jesus is not saying, you better buckle up, put on your bootstraps, and work harder. What he's saying is, you don't have it in yourself. You need to come to me. Here in just a second, we're going to, our, our song of response uh, is a song that was written by a man named Joseph Swain in the late 1700s. Uh, Joseph was a, a Baptist minister near Birmingham, England. That's how they say it over there. Joseph actually died at the age of 35, five years after becoming a pastor. What does that tell you about the ministry? But what he wrote in this hymn expresses so well our relationship to God's law and why we need Jesus, both to fulfill it for us and to help us walk in it. And that's really what I was trying to say in that second point. We're only going to have true righteousness as we pursue Jesus. And we're going to grow in righteousness the more that we pursue Jesus. Um, Here's just a couple of verses from the song that we're going to sing in just a minute. Come ye souls by sin afflicted, bowed with fruitless sorrow down, by the broken law convicted, through the cross behold the crown. Look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. Mercy flows through him alone. Take his easy yoke and wear it. Love will make your obedience sweet. Christ will give you strength to bear it, while his grace shall guide your feet. Safe to glory, safe to glory, safe to glory, where his ransomed captives meet. Is that the desire of your heart? To pursue true righteousness. Then let me invite you to come to Jesus and find forgiveness and the grace to walk in righteousness. Let's pray. Father, would you give us what you command? Lord Jesus, your words unsettle us. We're not righteous people. I'm not a righteous man. 
But Lord, you tell me that I need it. And the good news is that you supply it. And so, Lord, I pray with Augustine that you would give what you command. Give us the righteousness that we need. Help us to long for it, to hunger and thirst for it, and to follow you by the power of your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we respond to God's word?